Welcome to Uppity Women. This week we are speaking with Dr. Karama Neal. She is at Southern Bank Corp Community Partners. Uh, I met Karama quite a few years ago, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But she is a really incredible person and someone I look up to a lot. She's just so smart and interesting and seems to have the best heart and the best intentions and really does a lot to help her community, uh, which of course helps all of us. There are a couple of things I just need to correct. Um, I was mistaken when I thought that she had talked to me about um, slavery by other means or by another name, and it wasn't Karama, but it still led to a good part of the conversation, so I'm going to leave my error in there. And I also misidentified a woman named Emily. She had spoken to a group of us uh, quite a few years ago about social media. That should tell you how long ago it was. Uh, But her her maiden name is Emily Reeves, and I called her Emily Reed. Uh, She's actually, she's now Emily Dean, and she's a digital communications strategist for Innovate Arkansas. So I should actually get her on the show too. Um, So anyway, just a correction there. And then uh, there was a story that I was going to tell Karama off mic, and I may as well just go ahead and share it because I'm still horrified by it, and I like to own my mistakes. We have a neighbor who is uh, African-American, and I introduced myself to him one day. He is also a prosecutor, and I, um, joking, um, this often happens to me where what is happening in my brain doesn't quite come out of my mouth the way I want it to. And so I told him that my husband and I were attorneys and normally we don't talk to people like him, but I would make an exception. And what I really meant was prosecutors and that was a joke, but I am just going to assume that he thought I meant black people. Uh, So just so you know, um, I try and sometimes I miss. I'll make him cookies and apologize appropriately. So anyway, uh, this is a fairly wide-ranging conversation and I hope to have more of them. I think Karama is just super fascinating and uh, please feel free to check out the organizations that we discuss and the efforts we discuss. Uh, If you see a little free library around town, go ahead and put books in it. I walk over there every now and then and and drop some things off. So uh, anyway, enjoy the conversation with Karama. If you will just introduce yourself, tell me who you are and kind of what you do, a little bit of your background. Sure. So my name is Karama Neal. I am a service president of Southern Bank Corp Community Partners. It's a CDFI loan fund um, that works in rural Arkansas and Mississippi. And then also do a number of other things uh, around air property and just various and sundry other things, which uh, we can talk about at your choice. Okay. Um, well, I have your website pulled up, so I'm going to try to narrow it down, but I don't know how much I'll be able to do that. <laughs> I am well, I am particularly interested in the idea of economic mobility. Mm-hmm. So I definitely want to hear more about Southern Bay Corp and what you all are doing and um, just sort of how we can, well, what is the problem? Who needs to solve it or be part of the solution? Um, and actually what is the solution right Mm -hmm. to uh just economic mobility and and improvements in education and um i doubt we'll get into the little rock school district but i feel like there's a lot going on even outside of that just generally with with education in america Mm -hmm. and um, i feel like we're at a kind of a weird uh point of change but it's a little it feels chaotic to me but we can we can talk about that or, or not i don't know um, so I met you because you came to a, what we called a TED Talk, mm-hmm. the executive board. I don't even remember what the talk was. Do you know? It was social media, if I remember right. I feel like it was. Okay. Uh, I remember who you had speak with. Was it someone. Cecily Mayo, maybe? Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't. It was. Um, Emily, maybe. Emily Reed. 
I'm not her sure. name has changed. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. She was fabulous. Mm-hmm. So, but the, I also knew your dad really not well at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he probably would not know who I am if he saw me. But um, he was on the Court of Appeals. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And for some reason, I thought he was from East Arkansas. I he mean, is from East Arkansas. I mean. He, did he grow up there? Mm-hmm. And he was he elected just, from that area. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. he was also a circuit judge. He was. Okay. He was, mm-hmm. That's why I think that's why I put you there. Yeah. Because I connect you so much to your dad. Mm-hmm. And okay. Yep. So but I grew up here in Little Rock. So, right. 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 Yeah. Um, but lots of family relatives and good good times in Mariana too. Yeah. So well, let's talk about that because that really ties in directly to the Air Property Act um, that you were. Um, very helpful in, in getting passed in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So um, really, well, first of all, what it is and how you kind of started to think about this yeah. or, or was there a problem you were trying to solve and then it, it led to this? It was a very this. explicit problem I was trying right. to solve. It actually was on my mom's side. So mm-hmm. my mom's family was from Southwest Arkansas. Okay. And um, she and was born on this plot of land that her my great-great-grandfather bought after he um, got out of slavery. And so his, his daughter was born there, his granddaughter was born there, his great-granddaughter, my mother was born there. So I'm the first, first line of, of, of that line who was actually not born on that property in, in this um, small little Hempstead County town. And, and to, just to be clear, like, he, he was freed. At the, I mean, at that point he was. He right. hadn't been born into, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. No, 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 right. But when he acquired this land, mm-hmm. he was a slave then he was freed was, right he'd yeah, been enslaved know. and he, right. yep he claimed his freedom again yeah and, and eventually was able to purchase his land that was not you know i think a lot of times people think that that never happened it was not um uncommon i'm mm-hmm. not saying it was the most common thing in the world but it's not uncommon right um lots of of black families and obviously other families as well have property and have had property for for years and years and years mm-hmm. i think part of the challenge is making that property an asset now so that it's a meaningful asset to to, to families now mm-hmm. and that's that's really the reason i started that work so when when after my mom passed and sort of recognized i'd always sort of known about the property we'd go and visit and a great uncle of mine lived there for a while and we visit him there and so i've always known about it remember my grandmother collecting taxes for it when um when i was little and she'd go to all her first cousins and they collect the money to make sure the taxes were paid um and then after my mom passed i sort of recognized you know this is this property is actually not mine like i'm an actual heir it's not you know just sort of a theoretical all oh, it's 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 I'm, I'm one of the heirs mm-hmm. and decided like frankly other generations had before me to you know with you know we should try to make it really valuable again make it a real asset i mean in the past it had been a place where folks had lived and and you know had their homesteads and made their livings and made their lives um but that had not been the case at that point in in 20 years or so and so um i started looking up family members and trying to build a family tree and you know searching out sort of long lost cousins and such and Talked to my dad, who, as you mentioned, is an attorney, um, and although this is not his side of the family, he sort of cautioned me and said, you know, you may want to be real thoughtful about that because if you find relatives who, you know, you love them and you want to be cousins with them and have them at the family reunion, but if they're not particularly interested in that property, they may want to sell their interest. And if they sell their interest to someone who is not particularly interested in keeping the land or, or, or having you all keep the land, um, you could end up losing the property. And obviously that's not what I wanted to have happen after it had been in the family for so long. And so I felt really at an impasse, frankly. I felt sort of stuck. It was not, um, didn't seem feasible to really develop the property if we didn't have clear title, because this property had been passed down without a will. My grandfather died without a will because he had been told that if he died without a will, the land would never be sold, could never be sold. And so it was a, he actually was trying to build assets for his family mm-hmm. at the time. He just didn't have good legal advice and frankly, it's not obviously he would have been able to get legal advice in the late 1800s in rural Arkansas at that time so um 
you know, that's he was trying to build assets for his family, but he that's that's not it didn't uh, it worked, but really by by happenstance. So that family land got passed down for generations and generations. The title, of course, is not clear at this point. So it was not clear how to clear the title without finding all these relatives, and it wasn't clear that if we found the relatives that we wouldn't endanger the property in the first in in the same way. So. Mm-hmm really felt at an impasse and was really just sort of looking around the internet, Googling what other people do to deal with air property issues, and found uh, the Uniform Partition of Heirs Property Act that's um, model legislation written by the Uniform Laws Commission. Uniform Laws Commission is based in Chicago. They've been around for more than 100 years. They write model legislation that they like to see. Um, they really should be the same throughout the states. I mean, obviously, states can, can choose their, how they want to write their laws, and they mm-hmm. don't necessarily have to be the same from state to state. But certain things people think, at least this group of attorneys, um, thinks ought to be fairly similar from state to state. So they write model legislation that they hope would be passed throughout the United States, hence the name Uniform Law. Um, and so this, this particular piece of legislation, the Uniform uh, Partition of Heirs Property Act, was written um, and had been slowly sort of making its way through a few states. I think at the time we passed, Arkansas was the fifth state to have it passed. So this, this work, I started this work in uh, the fall of 2013. And really um, started as a grassroots campaign, just really sort of said, you know, this, this piece of legislation, because of the way it's structured, would help families like mine um, and so, so, so many other families. What I found as, I've, as we did this work, so many other families, black families, white families, um, rural families, urban families. And if you look across the country, um, Hispanic families, Asian families, so many people have air property in their, in their, in their lives, in their histories. And so this kind of legislation really helps those families have a fighting chance to keep their land. Historically, what would happen oftentimes is that um, someone might see a piece of property and then they go and then they find someone who is an heir to that property, buy them out, and then go and try to buy the entire property, oftentimes at much less lower value than what the market value would actually be for the property. Mm-hmm. And so you find a lot of people losing their land um, because of that. They don't necessarily have the money to go to auction and buy the whole property, even if it is below value. Um, so they're faced with buying back the land that they actually already owned, and they can't necessarily come up with the money to do that. If they did that, they, if they had that much money, they would have gotten the title cleared in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they end up losing that property and losing that asset that oftentimes had been in the family and had not only sentimental value, but also economic value as well. And so um, as, as this legislation put in place a number of, of uh, legal um, uh, features that facilitated families being able to keep their land. Didn't solve it, didn't mean they could never sell it, didn't you know, guarantee still people had their, heirs had their, still had their right to, to, to um, sell their interest if they wanted to, to whomever they wanted to. Mm-hmm. But it did put in place a number of things that gave folks, really leveled the playing field um, so their families had a chance to keep their land. And so we, we um, uh, like I say, started that work in 2013. We're very, very pleased that the, the Bar Association eventually um, uh, took that on as part of their their um, uh, their, their package, the package mm-hmm, yeah. for the legislative session in 2015, and then um, we were able to get that passed, and so we were very pleased about that. Did not have any dissenting votes, and it has been you know since that time, since 2015, there have been numerous other states that have passed it. Many of our neighbors in the South, as I said, we were the fifth state in the country to pass it, and I think we are up to 14 mm-hmm. states in the country, including you know Texas and. Alabama and Georgia, and I'm going to stop naming so I don't don't (laughs) mix them up, but it's easy to find, and there are a number of states in the South that have passed it as well, um, because people recognize the value of this, and I think it's also important to note, it's, it's, I say states in the South because we're in the South, but lots of states in the Midwest, Hawaii Mm -hmm. has passed it, I mean, Montana, just a number of states, because this is really a widespread issue, it is Mm -hmm. not 
think air property oftentimes gets um, talked about primarily as a rural black issue. Um, and certainly that is my personal family's experience, but that's not everybody's experience. And in fact, it was, it was interesting a little while ago, I wrote an op-ed in the paper and an older white man that I know who's also happens to be from Southwest Arkansas came up to me and said, you know, I, I read that and it was just, I realized I had this exact same issue in my family. He talked about his grandfather's property and all of his, his grandfather's kids and how his dad grew up in the, in the house, but then his dad wanted to pass it on to him, but he couldn't because he still owned it with all of his siblings mm -hmm. and it was, it was their property. And while he, he didn't necessarily, he wouldn't, I don't know that he would have um, seen himself in that act necessarily. When, we, when I told the story in that, in that particular op-ed, he was able to recognize himself in that. And so I think that's really an important point that oftentimes gets um, overshadowed, mm -hmm. is how many people in urban areas, in rural areas, in suburban areas, how many people of all races, of all backgrounds, um, have air property issues mm -hmm. and are going to be served by this act. And I think that's why you're seeing it being passed in so many different states with all kinds of different demographics um, because it's a, it's a significant issue in terms of people being able to, to build assets. Yeah, and so many people are leaving the rural areas uh, and going to more urban areas for work, school, whatever. And so I think that it's almost like, um, well, let me first say that property law is so complicated. It is, and I'm not a lawyer, I should say. Yeah, and deeds... <laughs> Are, can get very messy and um, especially if you have property that maybe no one knows about and they die without a will and so then if, if no one's paying the taxes that's a whole other thing but um, it, it can get very complicated mm -hmm. so just in a in a practical sense let's say I don't I'm just gonna use the number five there are five people uh, so what you're saying is if you've got if you each own say 10 acres um, of this land does that mean that if you want to sell, you're able to partition your part so that you can sell? So the key here, and the, one of the things that the Air Property Act, the Uniform Partition of Heirs Property Act does very well, is very clearly define what heirs property is. And one of the things that is very clear about heirs property is that that property is co-owned, you have co-tenants, and is undivided. So it is, the fact is, if in your example right. of five heirs and 10 acres each, it's not 10 acres each, it's five acres right. and 50 acres, period. They're <laughs> all co-tenants. They're all co-tenants. Everyone point, has to agree. That's right. You can't okay. point to any part of it and say, this is mine and that's yours. You all own the whole thing together. Right, okay. And I think that's what's really, frankly, people talk about that, and from a legal perspective, it is a pain. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's absolutely true. But I think it actually also binds families together in a ways that are very, very mm -hmm. meaningful, mm -hmm. and that cannot be taken for granted. So when I think about you know other parts of my family that don't have this kind of property, your family, but you don't have anything that ties you together quite in that way, particularly after so many generations. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this part of my family, because we all co-own that land, we are tied together. Mm -hmm. And there is a bond and there is a way in which we have to figure out how to navigate each other and navigate this property and navigate something for our, for our descendants mm -hmm. um, that is very real and very meaningful in a way that is not quite the same if you don't have that property binding you together. Right. So while it can be a legal challenge, it actually is, it, there's, it's both a feature and a bug, right? Mm -hmm. it, it also is, it has some real benefits and I think that is not to be, um, dismissed mm -hmm. lightly right uh and you're you have a family cemetery on your we land do. right yeah mm -hmm. so it's got real significance mm -hmm. just beyond the ownership of the land and yep. uh is, is it being used for anything right now the cemetery or no the, the, the property? just the property yeah not really no yeah. i mean that's that was part of where we really got this started is that it had not been used mm -hmm. really functionally for anything um mm -hmm. in recent years and we wanted to see wanted to turn it into an asset we wanted it to be i mean my the, the story always was my great-great-grandfather wanted his children to always have a place to call home yeah. 
And while um, I don't know that any of us is planning to move back to this, this very small town, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't mean it can't still be an asset for us. Right. And I think that's true for so many people. And you mentioned folks you know, moving from rural areas to, to urban areas, and obviously that's true, but you see air property in urban areas just the same way. Hmm. Um, you see families and maybe they, you know, their mom has a house, their parents had a house, and the kids have all moved on, and maybe they're in the same community, but they're not moving to that neighborhood where that house mm -hmm. is. Right. And so the, the property is there, and you know the kids may or may not choose to live in that property and, and, and have to figure out how to navigate that as a family unit if there's no will to determine how that, how that property is, is to be um, disposed of after the death of the initial mm -hmm. owners. So this is really an issue that really span. I think that's what's really, really important. I think this is, again, why the Air Property Act has gotten so much traction in so many different states and so many different places because it really does have widespread um, impact. Mm -hmm. And it's um, and it's not limited in the ways that I think sometimes get, get talked about. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really cool. It's, Congratulations. It's Thank you for doing that work. Yeah, it's been, it's, I've, really, I've enjoyed it. It's been really good. Yeah. I've been really, one of the things that's been really fun about it is meeting so many people who've had mm -hmm. similar issues or who've maybe worked through them or mm -hmm. who are just starting that. And, um, talking with people who are doing this, not just in Arkansas, but around the country, who've, who've, who've been sort of moved mm -hmm. by what we've been able to do in Arkansas or trying to do similar things in their states. And you've been able to connect with family you didn't know before. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's got to be Yeah, it's fun. interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I think I know most of my family. I don't know. I don't know. I, well, it depends on how far you go back, right? I mean, yeah. you know most of your great-great-grandfather's children and they're all their descendants. There's some questions about who like people are in my family. Right? I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's plus there's a bunch of great great grandfathers and grand yes. great great grandmothers too. Yes. So yeah. knowing all of them, I think it's probably a challenge for most people. That would be a big challenge. It's funny because I did the 23andMe, and so every now and then I'll get an email that says I have ah. new relatives, mm -hmm. and I get on, and it's like they're so far removed. I don't even, I, I can't even get to how we are related. So I'm like, okay, they can get in touch if they want to. But, um, yeah. So uh, okay. Um, so I want to move now to, unless, is there anything else you want to cover on that? Um, I want to talk about, uh, well, well, first let me ask you, you, um, you got a degree in biology, is that right? So my, my undergrad is in biology, yeah. Right. So what was your life previous to, to what you're doing now? So um, I did my, my undergrad in biology at Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania, and then um, actually came back here and taught at the Math and Science School, which is now the Arkansas School for Mathematics, Sciences, and the Arts. So I taught chemistry there for a year and my plan was to stay there for a year and then go to graduate school and that's what I did and so I went to Emory in Atlanta and did my PhD in genetics molecular biology there and worked in bioinformatics for a long time um also did a, later did a master's in bioethics and uh did taught research ethics for a little bit and um just did a number of things in in that sphere before moving back home mm -hmm. from, um, to Arkansas about 11 years ago and so what made you switch gears um, at that point, by the time we moved back home, um, obviously moving, I've, I've been gone at that point from, for 18 years from Arkansas. And mm -hmm. so moving back home was a big transition. I was glad, excited to do it. I've been mm -hmm. wanting to do that for a while. So that was, that was a good thing. And um, really began to think about, you know, people sort of ask, you know, what do you do for free? And mm -hmm. I realized that the things I was doing for free were things that were more community oriented, community development. There were things that had a more immediate impact on people, both in terms of time and space. So mm -hmm. I was a Drosophila geneticist, so I studied fruit flies and um, loved them and, and, and still- What do you call it? A what? Drosophila is the, just the genus name for, okay. for the fruit fly. I believe <laughs> you. <laughs> so it's, but so I, that, was, that was our model organism. And so we studied gene regulation in the fruit fly and, and I love that work and it was really good. And I've been a fly person since, since high school. I started work um, in a fly lab in, in, uh, at UAMS back when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, so I've been doing that work at that point for 20 years. I've been in and around labs and, and the sciences for about 20 years at that point. And so we moved back home. I sort of took stock and said, well, what, what other things can I do? What other you know, interests do I have? And when I looked at the things I was doing for free I've, and started applying for jobs in Arkansas, I looked um, and found work at Southern. Um, Southern Bank Corp is a, and Southern Bank Corp Community Partners are um, mission-driven financial institutions, all mm -hmm. community de uh, development financial institutions certified by the U.S. Treasury uh, to provide um, the majority of their services in low-income uh, areas, uh, economically distressed areas. And so uh, for us, that means primarily rural areas in Arkansas and Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So did that it, was how that transition happened. Did it start in Arkansas? It did. Okay. Mm -hmm. Started in Arkansas a little over 30 years ago. Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton were, were very engaged in getting it started, modeled after a, a bank called Shore Bank in Chicago, which mm -hmm. had a very similar kind of mission. Mm -hmm. um, and they started that work, and um, eventually it sort of got Arkansas leadership and has been sort of going like gangbusters since. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I mean, I've always heard of it. I've never really known what it does. Well, where did you, where and when did you meet your husband, Quajo? And we were living in Atlanta at the time. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. And he's from where in Africa? He's from the United States. He was born in Boston. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, his family's from Ghana. Oh, of course he is. I've mm -hmm. talked to him. Yeah. yeah. His family's from Ghana, but he was born and raised oh. in the United States. Okay, I've mm -hmm. seen photos of you with his. You've been to Africa with him. I've been, yeah. I went actually before I met him, but yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't Tugana know. What, specifically, but okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I am picturing you in a colorful outfit or something. Or I was maybe... wearing that long before I met him, but yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's part you... of the reason why we were together, probably, so. Okay, yeah. all right. But you met him in Atlanta. I met him. We were living in Atlanta, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, tell me about your travels to Africa or anywhere you want to. Yeah, really. no, just... I just, I, when, I finished my, when I finished my doctorate, my present to myself was a trip to Ghana, and mm -hmm. so felt like I deserved that and all that. So mm -hmm. I went. What was that like? It was wonderful. Yeah. It was wonderful. I stayed with some friends from college and just, you know, was a tourist and yeah. uh, very much enjoyed being there. It was really, really nice. It would have been nice to be there this year. It's the year of the return after 400 years of after the start of, um, of uh, transatlantic slave trade. Mm -hmm. And so a number of people have been going back this year. So it would have been really nice to go back this year, but yeah. uh, I'll have other opportunities. So. Yeah. Um, Crystal Mercer, I listened mm -hmm. to an interview with her and she talked about going to Africa and how it was the first time in her life she really felt like she belonged somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was uh, in Ghana as well. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's a huge continent, so I was trying to think about, oh, yes. you know, three times the size of the United States. So, I mean, it's just trying to make sure folks would think right, real right. specifically about where we are. But, yeah, she was in Ghana as well. Right, mm -hmm. and did you have a similar experience? Um, was there any kind of connection? Oh, yeah, I mean, of course, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, people speak to me because I, look, I look like I belong there, right. so that's nice. They speak to me in tree, and so that was that was always fun. And Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it is... It's compelling to be in a place where um, you you can see the 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 starts of how we got to where we are here. So mm -hmm. when you go to the, the the slave castles in Cape Coast and Elmina, um, on the coast of Ghana, where you know folks last left the continent, mm -hmm. and so that's a very that's a very moving thing to be in a spot like that mm -hmm. and think about why why I'm here now. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about the property. I was just you know that <laughs> there's only there's a reason why I'm in the United States, right? Um, and it's because of, of things that happened there and things that happened in other places across the coast and, and things that happened in other places across the world that, right. that facilitated that. So, right. um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's important 
to see that. And it's just important to be, it's, it's, it's a really nice place. It's a great place. There are really fun beaches. I learned how to boogie board there. Yeah. Had a, yeah. went to a really great salsa <laughs> club and yeah, just said, um, among many other things, but just really enjoyed my time there. It's a great place to visit. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. I, I, it's on my list. Yeah. I don't know where I have, mm-hmm. I don't know where to go, but I know that it's, um, I really want to, well, there's so many different places and they're all well, very different. So that's the thing. Know, I know, like, I know. I need to do a little bit more studying on, on what is where. And mm-hmm. also who knows if I'll even have more than one opportunity if I even have one. So, um, but, it, but I want to, um, so, you know, when we'd emailed about getting together, uh, there was just a kind of a brief mention of, um, uh, I don't remember how it was characterized, but but how slavery kind of continues today. And to me, that um, uh, just a different kind of slavery mm-hmm. by another name, right? Mm-hmm. By another method. Um, and I I don't want to make this talk all about slavery, so don't I mean don't let me do that. But it makes me think of things like. Um, you know, the farmers who were discriminated against, um, who couldn't get their loans on time and who, you know, just how we have perpetuated these myths of, uh, the lazy Negro or, you know, whatever it is. And, um, and is that tied to economic development? And is that, is that, uh, you know, where we put our resources and mm. where we don't and things like that. So, um, and I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly do you remember, do you remember talking I, about I, that at I, all? I, I don't, but I think that it, you know, it's, it, I mean, I think the, the, the point in, in some ways is valid. I mean, I think certainly things have continued. There, you know, we have not finished solving a lot of these kinds of issues. I think, you know, part of, uh, part of what I would say is that there is, there, if solving any number of these kinds of things, and, and they, they range from some of the kinds of things that you've talked about, but even, you know, as we think about, you know, um, challenges in some of the rural areas that are predominantly white challenges in some of our urban areas you know think about opioid issues and think about um you know the fact that there are decreasing life expectancies in some places and we just that was not something that you ever heard about you know 20 years ago that life expectancies would decrease mm-hmm. um at least on, on a large scale it certainly happens it has happened in, in in communities over time um but you know there are some real issues and i think as a society I would argue that in, in most cases, not in every case, but in most cases, we know what we need to do to fix that. We just need to have the will to do it. And so I think that's, that's the real challenge. I think most of us, you know, if we, if we really are clear about um, the research and what's out there and what has worked and what, you know, we see, frankly, many of us from our own experience in terms of what's, what's helpful and what works. We know. Mm-hmm. We just as a society have to decide to prioritize it and do it. And so, you know, I think that is, that's the real effort that that I think is that really has to be made for all of these kinds of change challenges we have for all the problems yeah I mean we we know what we need to do right (laughs) you know I mean we 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 know how to invest in education we know how to invest in healthcare. we know we just have to decide we want to do it and if it's not a priority we won't we as a society we we've not made some of those things a priority and that's 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 our societal decision and so we we live with the the results of that right so so how do you, I struggle with this question every day because I, I watch what's going on with our politics and, and the way we talk to each other on Facebook or in the news or whatever. And it's like, well, how do we change our priorities to try to empower or even just provide the same opportunities for everyone? Not that we all have to do as well as each other. I mean, because we're not all built the same. Mm-hmm. We're not all the same. Um, but I just... I don't know how to change hearts and minds, I guess. Well, I think we start with our own. 
Yeah. And you start with the ways that we, the choices that we make and the ways mm-hmm. in which we decide to live our lives, how we spend our money, mm-hmm. budgets and morals. I've heard that, that phrase a lot, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, how mm-hmm. do we, how do you spend your money? How do we spend our time? What do we, what do we prioritize? How do we engage with folks? All those things are, that's, that's a, that is, um, some would say that's a small place to start, but I would argue it's not a trivial place to start, mm-hmm. right? Because we are all individuals and that's the one person that you have the most control over is yourself mm-hmm. and, and, and me that I have over myself, right, right? right? And so I think when we think really clearly and none of us is perfect at doing that, but really being attentive to how do we spend our money? How do we spend our time? What do we prioritize? How are we spending? What, what are the things that we're saying? How are we conveying ourselves and preparing ourselves and engaging with others? All of those things are part of that. And when we all do that, then we change mm-hmm. the society, right? Mm-hmm. And I think part of what is important in this is, is modeling what is what are good options? Um, one of the things I was I was talking with someone uh, recently about is you know I try to ride whenever I can. Don't do it all the time, but I try to ride you know public transit whenever mm-hmm. I can, and that's not something that's particularly popular to do mm-hmm. um, in 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 Arkansas. It's right. not it's not like you're living in D.C. or New York or Chicago or something where mm-hmm. you know lots of people take the train or take the bus or whatever. Right. Um, but I think that that is that's that's part of the way that at least when I can when it when it works for my schedule I have my bus pass on my phone and I use it that I can do that and I can model it. Yeah, you can do that. And that's mm-hmm. a sustainable way to, to, to get to work. And it actually saves me money and it actually provides more productivity because they have Wi-Fi on the bus and it's free mm. and I can work the whole way and get to work in my email. I'm caught up on my email, you know? Good to and know. And so that's a different kind of piece. But my point is, is that we can model these things. We can look at how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our energies, what words come out of our mouths, how we engage people. And that not only is a contribution to how society, what society's priorities are, but it also is a model for how others might be able to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think it's 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 easier uh, for most of us, frankly, to figure out how to follow sometimes than how to, to step out and, and lead. And so mm-hmm. if there are places where we feel comfortable stepping out and being the one who sort of shows the way a little bit on one way or models a particular way of engaging someone, then that's good because that mm-hmm. shows someone else maybe how to do it. Right. And so I, I you know, I think all those things are really, really critical. Yeah. Um, All right, quick little break while we hear from our sponsor. We'll be right back. I started Women Lead Arkansas in 2013 as an effort to train women to run for office. I made it nonpartisan because I want all women to have access to resources so they can become engaged in politics, policy, and leadership, regardless of their beliefs and backgrounds. Show your support by going to womenleadarkansas.org and get 15% off hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs by using discount code UPPITY, U-P-P-I-T-Y. The times we're living in cause me great anxiety, which I discuss in many of the episodes, but I know we can do better. Help Women Lead bring more people and resources together to make Arkansas the best it can be for everyone. Go to womenleadarkansas.org and use the discount code UPPITY for 15% off our merchandise. We are all in this together. You know, I um, along those lines, um, in, in this sort of climate of Me Too or you know, white privilege. And, you know, I, I try to be conscious all the time about what I'm doing, what I'm saying, how I'm acting and, and making sure that I'm doing what I think is the moral and just and right thing mm-hmm. to do. Uh, and trust me, I screwed up a plenty, but <laughs> I'll tell you a story no off mic about a horrifying thing that I said recently. And I did anyway, um, you know, I think about myself and I'm, and there's, I, I, I recognize that there's so much that I don't even think about because I don't have to. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so what I'm, 
I guess what I'm responding to is, is when you say that, you know, it's, it starts with us, um, and modeling, you know, behavior, you know, be what, be the change you want to see in the world. And, and I think that if I do something differently, or if I point something out, then that may be something that some other person just had no idea they should even be thinking about. Right. And so, so I agree with you. Um, I've used this example before, um, during Obama's first election, I did a ton of voter registration and we, um, told Jason's mom that we were going to put an Obama sign in her yard in North Little Rock. And she was like, Oh, I, I haven't seen any other ones in the neighborhood. And we were like, you were putting an Obama sign in the yard. And she did, or well, we did for her. And as soon as, as soon as we did, other ones started popping up. So it's almost like other people need to see that it's okay. Or, you know, uh, notice it or whatever and then they kind of join Mm -hmm. um it is not happening fast enough for me all (laughs) of the things um i I feel like we're in this um just such a dark time right now um but but that is a problem that i have i I tend to focus on the negative and all the problems because i feel like i need to fix everything but i also try to remind myself that the 60s were really bad and really violent and um that it could be worse Although it's still bad, but I mean, um, at least we're not really bombing each other. Mm-hmm. We're shooting each other, I guess. But anyway, um, so I could ramble on about this all night long, but I'm, I'm going to try not to. Um, so when you, as a bank, um, are you talking about micro lending or maybe lending to people who? maybe aren't in the best, uh, don't have the best credit? I mean, what does that actually look like? Yeah, so Southern is a financial institution. Mm-hmm. So we're, we, you know, we use through the bank and through where I am, which is a loan fund, a nonprofit loan fund. Uh, the bank is a for-profit bank. Um, you know, we use the tools that we have where our core capacity is as a financial institution to affect the positive change, the change that we were founded to, um, to create, which mm-hmm. is, is promoting economic mobility in underserved areas. And so we do that using the tools of finance. So it is exactly part of what you shared. It's it's you know making loans. Um, may, it's it's providing deposit accounts that work for people. It is helping people build their credit. It's helping people get ready for home ownership and maintain their homes. It's all those kinds of things. Um, we have a phrase that we say, "Well, wealth builders for everyone." And so Southern is is very keen on making sure that everybody has access to those kinds of tools. So it's not just folks who are low wealth or just folks you know who are um high wealth it's it's wealth building for all of us Mm -hmm. and so i think that that has really been a a key tenant to the work the way that uh, southern has has um, done its work in recent years and are you intentional about seeking customers and um I'll, i'll call it diversity i don't know what the demographics would be in banking but are you is are you intentional about that yeah i mean i think you know with with a lot of Banks, and I think again, we're primarily in rural Arkansas, and Mississippi, and a number of the regions where we are. We're one of we're the only bank in town, one of two banks in town. Um, so people often bank with who's there. I mean, if we think mm-hmm. about where most of us bank, it's oftentimes where we we bank at places where that are convenient for us. So, mm-hmm. you know, in the number of places where we are, we are a, a good option for folks, and we certainly want to be a good option for folks, and we also want to be an option for people who want to support the work that we're doing. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there we definitely have folks who will, you know, want to open an account with us or want to do a loan with us, not just because ideally we have a really good product for them and it works for them, but also because they want to support the work that we're doing and they want us to, they want to make sure that people um, in underserved, economically underserved areas have access to these kinds of resources as well. Mm-hmm. I believe that um, uh, African American women are the fastest growing. Uh, 
kind of segment, I guess, of, of uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's that's true across the country, and right. it's true in Arkansas as well. Yeah, I think statistically, most businesses fail within the first few years. It's um, true for everybody. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Oh, yes. Uh, it, it was true for me. I mean, I sold the business, but I certainly didn't make any money. I'm still paying off the candy store, you know, mm. um, and uh, still trying to make a lot of go work. But, it, you know, it's hard to make low cost services uh, scale. Um, I want to talk about the Delta. But what I hear you saying, it's it's not really just the Delta. It's just rural areas. Well, I think it's a lot of areas. It's not just rural areas either. And I think this is I think it's really easy to sort of um, put it put challenges on sort of the other. And I, I think part of what I think is always really important is to sort of recognize our own experiences mm-hmm. in those areas are, are ones that are very familiar for us, right? So, you know, there are places it's in the Delta that are very similar to places in North Arkansas. And you look mm-hmm. at demographics and, and certain kinds of statistics and those kinds of things. And so, you know, we tend to focus a lot on the Delta, but that doesn't mean those are the only places that are economically underserved. There's certainly portions of parts of more urban areas that are economically underserved and um, you know and and have challenges of all different types and so I think it's I think it's it's really important to sort of not um, not assume that certain regions and in Arkansas oftentimes that, that gets put on the Delta are the places where there are challenges and everybody else is sort of okay but all the challenges are there and I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's what you're saying but I think right. that, that that oftentimes is how the how the the narrative is talked about in Arkansas and I think that's mm-hmm. that's not it's not fair to the Delta, and it's not a, a realistic reflection on, frankly, the rest of the state, which also has a lot of challenges. Yes, that's a really um, good urban point. Urban and rural areas. Yeah. I don't know why I focus so much on the Delta, probably because the, it's what it, we talk about all the time. That's what folks talk about yeah, all the time. Yeah, right. And it's, it's, I'm not, just not suggesting that there are no challenges there by any means. Right. I'm just saying it's not the only place, and I think it's important to recognize the breadth of these challenges. I think that's how you build coalitions, mm-hmm. and that's how you solve these things, is you recognize common kinds of, of, of challenge. I think this is, you know, the work I talked about with the air property. I think, again, that's part of what has been very powerful there is that people have recognized that it is not, quote, just a black rural problem mm-hmm. or a black rural issue. In fact, you know, it is it is something that is quite broad. It's it's urban, it's rural, it's suburban. It's issue, there were issues in Hawaii. There was a, um, Mark Zuckerberg was trying to buy some property and it turned out to be air property and they ended up passing the law there in, 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 in part in response to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was Native Hawaiians who were engaged there. There were folks in the colonias in, in, um, in Texas and places who have air property. I mean, it's, it is all over. Native Americans, huge issues around property mm-hmm. there. I mean, and again, urban, rural, suburban, all white folks, black folks, Asian folks, Hispanic folks, Latinx folks. Every this is a, a general issue, and certainly more folks. Some folks have more issues with it than others, but it's broad. And I think that that model, as we talked about earlier, is relevant here as well. It's, mm-hmm. it's sort of recognizing where that is, because that's how you build coalition to really solve problems, as opposed to sort of otherizing and, and it is it it finding those those places of commonality, those places of similarity. I think help us all work together in in, in solution. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I know you're right. Um, I was speaking with, uh, have you heard of Delta Circles? Yeah. Okay. So I was speaking with Patricia and um, I hope to interview her at some point, but she, I was talking, um, asking similar questions about the Delta and she Mm -hmm. said, well, um, I don't think she said you, Stephanie, but that's how I'm going to paraphrase it. You know, you're not focusing on the successes, right? Mm -hmm. You're focusing on the problems, but there are really a lot of good things going on here. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, that's a flaw in my personality that I need to work more on. Um, uh, but again, I want to fix everyone's problems. (laughs) So that's, uh, that's a problem. I should start with my own, I suppose. Um, so I know on your, on your website, you've got 
an area where you kind of an area like all your kind of interest areas development-based internet cafe ife4 whatever that is um perennial productive gardens pre-baccalaureate programs um Promise Communities for Higher Education, Rural Home Health Cooperative. And then in your writing, I think you write about a few of these things, uh, your blog posts. So would you say, is there an, uh, kind of an area that you focus on in your sort of advocacy? Um, that's, I appreciate that question. So um, yeah, in some ways. So I, I wrote, you, you mentioned a blog. I, I wrote for a number of years, about five years. I started a blog in 2004, I believe it was, and then wrote it for about five years pretty regularly um, called So What Can I Do? Yes. And so that was what I called a public service uh, web blog promoting ethics in action. I think that was my, my sort of tag phrase. It's mm-hmm. been a while since that was. So I used mm-hmm. to write that pretty regularly. But I really focused on sort of the things that one can do to try to make improvements in our society, in our worlds, our neighborhoods, in our, in our lives. Um, it came from being sort of with friends and we get together, I was living in Atlanta at the time, we get together and talk and sometimes it would sort of devolve into complaining. Um, mm-hmm. And everybody's, oh, this, you know, they're just tired of this, I wish something else was different here, or how come this won't work, or da, da, da. And, um, I, I tend to be one who I, I don't mind identifying the issues, but I, I can't wallow there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to mm-hmm. either, either move on to something else or I have to figure out some sort of way to sort of address it. And so started that blog really as a, as a reaction to those kinds of conversations to say, okay, we recognize there are challenges. What can we do? So what can I do? Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's, that's where the, the name of that came from. So that I had a, a really fun time writing that, wrote it for a number of years. He did a 10th ever anniversary ebook about, um, I guess that's been, five years ago now, it was in 2014 that I put that out, um, that just talked about a wide range of things from you know education and health and economics uh, to environment, just a variety of different kinds of things that, that one can do. And some of them were really small actions that just sort of enough to get your feet wet and get you sort of take that very first initial sort of baby step. And some that were you know much more significant kinds of, of changes or, or um, you know alterations that one could make that, that you know would, would ideally move um, our society forward, at mm-hmm. least in the ways that, that, that we prioritize on that, on that blog. So that is sort of an overarching sort of view. And then as having written that for so long and sort of researched a lot of the topics that were in that blog, um, you know, a lot of the work that I do now, like the air property work, like frankly working at Southern, um, you know, those are the kinds of life that one can decide to choose jobs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You can decide to do different kind of things as a result of those kinds of commitments. So. Um, so a lot of them have to do with um, education, with, and I tend to do, personally tend to do sort of one-on-one education or sort of not necessarily classroom education, although I like being in the classroom, but, um, but other kinds of education as well. Um, also health things, I think, you know, having been in the lab for a long time, that's, that's something that's very, that I'm always very thoughtful about, you know, try to donate blood regularly mm-hmm. and blood donor my daughter was an umbilical cord blood donor mm-hmm. you know things like that just think about you know what are the ways that we can um, contribute in those uh, to, to improved health care and health outcomes for folks mm-hmm. um, and just opportunity um, broadly spoken I think is really important I think you know I, I tend to think of things as, as you know people ought to have the ability to choose and to make decisions about how they live their lives um, in ways that prioritize the things that are important to them. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't, might not be important to me, but if they're important to them and it's mm-hmm. their life, they get to choose, you know? Yes. And so um, I think thinking through how do, we, how do we ensure that people have the same number of options 
that they can choose from and that they can make meaningful choices around those. I think that's, that's, a, that's sort of a framework for this kind of work. So, you know, that results in the air property work. It results in, you know, being a blood donor. It also results in, for example, having um, book boxes around mm -hmm. downtown Little Rock. We have about four of those that we maintain and, and keep books in and folks, you know, come and pick those up and drop some off. And that's mm -hmm. been, you know, just a fun little thing to do, but it's, it's, it's uh, been a nice way to be able to collect books and get them back out to folks. We live near a school, so it's been really nice to be able to have books for kids if they want to mm -hmm. pick those up on the way if they're walking to or from school. Yeah. Um, I've got a few for you right next to oh, you. Excellent. So yes, excellent. <laughs> um, so you know, just any number of things like that, and just sort of really always looking for what are the ways we can do. And, and as I said, how do, how can we model that? You mm -hmm. know, how do we how can we show that these these things are are possible? Other people are showing me that. That's where I'm getting it from, and and I want to pay back the favor, or pay, pay it forward. I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and I think too, it's important to remember that you don't have to save the whole world. You can help one person on your block. Well, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you can't. I can't. No. Yeah. Right? So. It's, it's why I'm so heavily medicated. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, there are not enough medications for me. But but yes. No, you yeah. can't. And, it, and right, like having a little free library, I mean, that can really make a difference in mm -hmm. someone's lives. And it seems like such a simple thing yeah. to just put in front of your house or, mm -hmm. you know, wherever. And it's not the only thing, but I think you can, you know, you can think about where do you, how do you get started, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, so I guess, I guess that's the advice you would give is just model do what you can to help provide opportunities for other people yeah i mean i think is. it needs to be thought out I and mean, mm -hmm. i think it's it's very easy to sort of and i mean i say this is to myself as much as i say it to you or anybody who's listening right i mean it, it's very easy to um to, to how to say take an easy way out it's easy to, certainly certain things are really easy right mm -hmm. it's really easy to to you know, put something in recycling and feel like you've done you've done a solid, like mm -hmm. really, you know. And obviously, you want to recycle, but there's probably much more you can do. Like maybe we didn't need to have that in the first place, yes. right? Maybe we didn't need to. Maybe we could reduce and reuse before we recycle, yes. right? And those are that's a small example, right? But like, I think it's important to be thoughtful about that and to mm -hmm. interrogate what we're doing and why we're doing it, and you know, what more can I do, mm -hmm. right? And to not be satisfied with small actions and to really hold ourselves accountable for, for the world in which we want to create, mm -hmm. um, whatever that might be. And so I think that's, that's a really, um, important piece. I think it can be really easy to do things that are popular and then just stop there. Right. And I think it's, you think we all have to, I, I say this to myself, as I say, as much as I say it to anybody else, you know, it's, you have to integrate ourselves and, and push ourselves mm -hmm. a little bit farther to, to get the world we want. Right. Right. Yes, that's right. And we might have to give up some things that mm -hmm. are convenient for us. Mm -hmm. When the city, when Little Rock stopped recycling most of their plastics and glass and I drive the glass over to Ace so mm -hmm. I, I still recycle glass, but I realized how many plastics we use and how many single-use plastics. So now I'm looking at them every time. Oh, I can't recycle that, and I feel horrible throwing it away. Mm -hmm. So I find a different way to consume that, mm -hmm. or I just don't buy it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so getting little individual yogurts, we'll get a bucket, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, there are, I mean, you know, all you really have to do is pay attention. It can feel overwhelming because, especially for someone who is a liberal, you know, who you know, is bleeding heart and wants to save the world and do all the things. And it can get really overwhelming. And, um, for me anyway, it's, it's, it's easy to maybe focus on the thing, the bite-sized things mm -hmm. that I can handle instead of trying to figure out, Oh my God, how am I going to solve immigration? You know, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, we all have to focus works. on what we can do. And I think there's yeah. a, there's a, there's a sweet spot between being completely right. overwhelmed so that you do nothing yeah. and doing only the, the tiniest things that are good, but yeah. aren't nearly what we could be doing. Right. 
So is is um, kind of public speaking and, and community activism, uh, I don't know how you would describe yourself, you can tell me, but is that something that's uh, new to you or, or have you always been engaged in that sense? That's an interesting question. I think, I mean, my family has always been one that's been about public service and that takes all, all kinds of forms, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's some stuff is just very private that you would only know if you're living in our house mm-hmm. <laughs> and then some stuff that, you know, might be much more public. Um, so I think that's always been a priority is, you know, those are the, that, that service is, is, is critical and it's important and it's how you live our lives. And so that's, that's how I was raised. So I think that, that is, um, that's always been there. Mm-hmm. I think the way in which it manifests itself, you know, depends on what it is that has been important and, and where your life is sort of taking you. And so for me, that has meant sort of different things than it might've meant for someone else in my family because of, you know, the, the, the places I've been and, and you know, the opportunities that I've had and those kinds of things. So, um, so yeah, I think, you know, the, the public service commitment is that's, that's just how I was raised. It's mm-hmm. what I was taught and what, mm-hmm. what, not just what I was taught and I do it because of that, but because I think it's the right thing to do mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I think that's where that comes from. So it's nothing you had to kind of overcome some shyness or know what are your challenges to me? I, I just idolize, I don't want to say I idolize you. I oh, really admire you a lot. And, um, kind. uh, you know, I don't know. I just think that you're just wonderful and so smart. And, um, I love the things that you do. And so, um, what are your challenges? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think we all have them. I think, you you know, you, you trying to find that sweet spot that I talked about before, right. Between Mm -hmm. being, you know, so overwhelmed that you don't get things done or you take on too many things to, you know, being able to do some things ideally really well Mm -hmm. and, and have, you know, significant benefit. Um, I think that's always a challenge like not taking on too much, you Mm know, um, and, you know, just, I think that's probably the biggest one, I would say, at least, you know, for, for this context is, is, is just making sure there, because there is so much that needs to be done, I would argue. And, you know, people have different ways of, of, of um, you know, focusing on their work and figuring out how to navigate that. And I think for me, it's, it's a, I, I always say that I could be retired, like, immediately because I had so much I could do. Yes. <laughs> no, yes. I still wouldn't be retired, right. you know, because there's so many other things I want to do too. Right. But it's nice to be in a position where the work that I'm doing is aligned with, with my values and aligned with, yeah. with the, with my mission, my personal mission as well. Um, so that, that feels really good. And that was always, that was the case when I was a scientist as well, but it's, 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 um, it's just different now. Mm-hmm. So just figuring out how to balance that, I think is, is always important, mm-hmm. you know, for everybody. Yeah. It's, it's a balance is, is critical. Yeah. all of us so you don't get overwhelmed or burned out or those yeah. kinds of things that's right you have to take care of yourself um and your husband also works for a nonprofit. is that right no he's a teacher where is he teaching he teaches at henderson middle school oh mm-hmm. well so i met him before i met you i think because uh, i worked at the supreme court and he was working for an organization he was at the when he first came we first moved back housing. home he was at the um the fair housing yeah. Arkansas okay. Fair housing okay. Mm-hmm. And I remember he called me and I was a spokesperson for the state Supreme court mm-hmm. and Jim Hanna was our chief justice and, um, and he's passed away since then. And I really love him and, uh, I miss him. He's a good man. Mm-hmm. He was a good man. Um, but I remember Quajo called and he kind of, you know, introduced himself and he was looking for a speaker, a keynote speaker. And I just, I, I said, Oh, you know what? <laughs> he's a really boring speaker. <laughs> Everybody has their strengths, you know. That's right. Just, That's right. And he, um, such a lovely person. But anyway, so he laughed and he said, well, thank you for letting me know that. <laughs> and also as someone who has put things on, you don't want your listeners yeah. to be, you know, bored. But um, but anyway, so that was when I, that was how I met him. And then I think I met you subsequent to that. Mm-hmm. But um, I want to just very briefly, even though this is an impossible thing to make brief, but uh, I want to talk about education. 
So with all of the stuff going on with Little Rock School District and elsewhere, um, it feels to me, just generally speaking, that our, our education system might be a little behind um, in innovation and kind of how we think about teaching such a uh, variety of, of, of children with different needs, different socioeconomic mm-hmm. backgrounds, different challenges and, and um, um, uh, skills and, and all of that. And um, what are your thoughts is there a way to fairly administer our education system that does provide access to equal or similar opportunities for all of our t- children? Well, I'm not an education expert by any yeah. means. Um, you know, as I mentioned, my husband's a teacher, my daughter's in, in, uh, as a student in Little Rock Public Schools as, as well. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm very much a stakeholder and, and care mm-hmm. I'm a, along with Little Rock Public Schools. So sure. I very much believe in that work. I mean, I, I, I will say that when I look when you, I think most of us look at data around the world and around our country, and we see what works, this kind of goes back to my point before, we know what we need to do mm-hmm. that works. Mm-hmm. We just have to decide to do it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I think, you know, there are any number of examples, and I've, I'm, I'm not going to name them because I don't have them in front of me, but I think we've all seen examples of, you know, schools that have performed well, school districts that have performed well, states that have performed well, countries that have performed well in terms of their education. Mm-hmm in terms of prioritizing students and making sure that those students have access to, to um, you know, the kinds of, of, of learning materials that allow them to succeed, that allow them to succeed not just in the classroom, but then after the school and, you know, in, in, later on in their lives. Those, those examples exist. And I think, you know, we know what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not, this is not something we don't know, right. <laughs> you know. We're choosing I mean, not to. We, we, we have to decide we want to prioritize it. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, I'm not saying that there's nothing we don't. I'm sure there's some things we could refine, but in mm-hmm. general, broadly, mm-hmm. we know what we need to do. Mm-hmm. We just have to decide we want to do it as right. a society. So, right, yes. Um, well, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, I have lots of questions, but I'll I'll leave it at that. Uh, but Jason and I don't have kids, but we feel like all kids are our kids, mm-hmm. and um, everyone's success is important to mm-hmm. us. Uh, and we know that successful or a good education system just makes for a better world, a better community, a better tax base, a better, you know, lower crime. I mean, it benefits all of us. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. So we just, um, you know, why we don't, like you said, do what we know we need to do. I, I just, well, I have some thoughts on why we don't, but anyway, um, well, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about? I don't, I don't, I can't think of anything. You've you've done your, I think we covered the big, the big things for sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time, yeah, and absolutely. I know that um, it's kind of late tonight, so I appreciate you coming over no, after fine. your I, again. Your I appreciate you event. being accommodating in yeah. that regard. Too. Oh yeah, thank for you. sure. Mm-hmm. Oh please, I will. I do anything for you. So no, no, I appreciate thank it, yeah. you very much, yeah. and it's good to see you. And hopefully, we'll get to see each other socially yeah, a little absolutely. more absolutely. in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I appreciate the work that you're doing on your podcast too. It's nice to see. I was going back through listening, and just you have a have a whole bunch of folks you've interviewed it's great yeah mm-hmm. good variety yeah. it's yeah it it's, been. Mm-hmm. yeah it's really i so when i started this it wasn't because i have time or because it makes any money but it's because i love these conversations and i like to learn from people mm-hmm. and it helps to open my brain up mm-hmm. and um and it challenges me mm-hmm. and my own assumptions or stereotypes and so i just thought and i'm obsessed with podcasts that's all i do is listen to them <laughs> and so i thought well why not just have these record them and let other people hear mm-hmm. the great conversations mm-hmm. so so it's my pleasure and yeah. i'm really honored that that you're here so thank, thank you. you yeah thank you